Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest, be soothed, and at times maybe gently challenged to think about yourself and your practice. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment, growth and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. Welcome to a new episode. Thank you for joining me. A quick shout out to Emma who left me feedback on Twitter. Emma said, listen to both episodes this morning whilst gardening. I can't recommend them highly enough to fellow therapists, but also anyone in helping roles. Thank you. Thank you, Emma, for taking the time to comment. It's much appreciated. Glad you're enjoying the episodes. I'd now like to introduce you to my next guest, Chris Winson. Chris is a student, author, and founder of the 365 Days of Compassion hashtag, an online community of people sharing thoughts, reflections, and information about compassion and well-being. During his life, Chris has managed depression, often hiding it, until a major period in 2016 led him to seek help. That introduced Chris to compassion-focused therapy, which has led to his focus on how compassion can play a supportive role to health and well-being. After a long career, mainly within technology, Chris is now a mature undergraduate student studying psychology with a focus on nature, connection and mental well-being. Although he tells me there are not many areas of psychology he doesn't get geeky about. Chris has written blogs and recorded a series of YouTube videos about depression and his experience of CFT. It is my pleasure to introduce Chris to Welcome to Self. So hi, Chris. It's so lovely to welcome you to this episode. How are you hello, going? Hello, I'm all right, thank you. And uh, hello, and lovely to see you again. And yeah. um, thank you so much for inviting me onto, um, onto your new uh, venture podcast. Very exciting. My pleasure. And thank you for joining me in the morning in the UK. It's evening here in Australia. Um, Do you know, I have such lovely memory of you. Um, Gosh, I don't even know what year it was now, but when I was coming over to see Paul and Jean Gilbert and you offered to come and pick me up from the train station in Derby and we had literally met each other online through um, the hashtag, which I'll ask you more about later, and you offered to do that. And then you, with your daughter, you took me to that amazing bookstore where we had coffee yeah. and cake and a really lovely chat. And I always reflect on that as a really beautiful, compassionate act. Oh, um, thank you. And, you know, it really meant a lot to me at the time. So thank you for that. And welcome. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a lovely welcome. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, 
I'm, I'm trying to think of three, was it three years ago? Possibly. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, that's a very, the bookshop is a very special place. And uh, no, it was lovely. It was, it was, it was really nice to actually meet you as well. Um, mm. You know, with the, these online contacts, which we'll probably talk about later on, but it was really nice to then get the chance to actually meet in, in real life as well. So yeah. no, that was my pleasure. Thank you. Fantastic. So, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey to becoming a mature age student in psychology and what that's like for you, the sort of things that you enjoy and perhaps what you plan to do career wise, if you even know that yet? Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll come back to that at the end. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm currently studying um, psychology at Derby uh, University which is my uh, local uni and, and obviously also um, also the, the the home of uh, Professor Paul Gilbert and some of the compassion work as well. So very lucky that that's kind of the university that's local to me as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm in between second and third year. Um, so preparing now for third year and um, my dissertation. Um, how did I get there? It, it wasn't planned. Um, mm. I'd had a long career. Um, I, I left school at 18 without going on to uni. I, I kind of just wandered a little bit through education, um, wandered into work. Um, <laughs> um, I wandered into a bank, not for any reasons other than it seemed okay as a job. Um, <laughs> started, started, started right off at the, you know, doing things like stationery and the very basic stuff. Um, wandered again a little bit through that as a career without any real aspirations. Um, until the mid 90s and then I found that it was um, a lot of what I had been doing which I got into lending at that point as well some lending officer roles it had started to become very centralized and I wasn't really that keen on what was being left behind in the kind of branch networks and then year 2000 was rapidly coming up um, and there was a lot of concern if if if, if you recall about yeah. computer systems crashing around the world and, oh, yeah, the Y2K bug. Yes. I remember yes. that. And a couple of my friends had actually gone up to um, Sheffield, which was where the head office for the technology division was, for the bank. And um, they wanted people like myself who'd used the systems to come and test the systems, to check this. And I will say there was a bug, but, you know, in certain things, the... the um, that did exist. Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't all a con by the technology companies. Um, <laughs> and I went in there just as gamble, took it as it's one of the few times I probably did make a choice in my, in my career. Um, got into testing and then from that became an analyst. Um, never actually coded, but I got into project management and that was where I really found my forte, as it were. Um, various different roles and as project manager, program manager, a little bit of stint on innovation. Um, and then I was a senior leader um, with responsibility. Um, but one thing that had always kind of been with me during those, well, probably most of my life actually, has been periods of what I now recognise as depression. And that really, really came to a fore um, in, in 2016. Um, and it was then in December 16 that I um, 
was finally kind of signed off um, and sought proper help. I sought help in between then, but never really actually fully admitted where I was at. So um, that was a turning point for me because I was then off for a long time from work, had therapy, which is where I discovered compassion-focused therapy. Um, I formally left work then, and I spent about a year kind of thinking what would I want to do while I was still kind of working through therapy and so on. And I realised that one thing I was very <laughs> focused upon was was how we thought. How, how you know, I think when you're a leader and a manager, you you do think about psychology, and you, yeah. even, if, even if you're not doing it consciously. Absolutely. I mean, it's human behaviour, isn't it? Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you often get people asking you to, you know, promoting things on course and stuff like that. So I kind of realised that I was really interested. So I decided to try um, the foundation year at Derby Uni, which is kind of gentle introduction into university life, if you like, to, for um, for different types of students. But it, yeah. for someone like myself, having not studied for many, many years formally, it was a nice way to get back in. So so that's where I got. And I, I felt at the time, and I still do, I'm interested in lots of psychology. And it's been really great, actually, to approach it as a, I'm studying for studying, not for a goal. Yeah, so, nice. So your question about what aspiration have you got? At that time, there wasn't one. There's probably one that's now come. I'm, I'm very interested in actually research and how we do research. Yeah. Um, and so if there's any aspiration after doing the degree, then it is to probably continue in research. Yeah. Um, and that particularly in the areas around um, nature and well-being um, and linked to that, not just how we benefit from being in nature but actually also thinking about our own behavior and conservation and how psychology can help influence that oh fantastic Uh, so that's kind of where i am at the moment yeah oh that's lovely i think oh nature and well-being uh, that's a beautiful area to be looking at the in the welcome to self group that i have one of the things I have on a Wednesday is um, a post called Meditations with Mother Nature. And I encourage group members to post pictures of nature just so we can check in and kind of meditate on it if you're kind of stuck in the office or something. Um, so it, it, it really has become, it was something I was kind of aware of. And in fact, I realized that I'd written a blog way before I started uni about the kind of effect nature has on well being. But we, this year, we had a this particular module for it which I helped to do some work for and um it was really caught that that piece um yeah. the one the one piece I will just say which is which which might be interesting for, for for anyone who's listening who knows me one area that I I think some people assume because I've gone to uni to do psychology that I would then go on to psychotherapy perhaps as a role but I that's something that I've always been right from day one I wasn't going to do um for a couple of different reasons but uh, yeah, no nature. Nature is fantastic, and I think all that conservation piece is really important to me as well about how our behaviour affects it. Yeah. So you came to studying psychology later in life, as, as did mm. I, um, mm. and quite a, quite a stretch from where you were. I mean, quite a corporate life. Oh, yeah, yeah. To Absolutely. then, you know, potentially the academic. ahead of you maybe (laughs) if that's what you are going to choose to do but also some real struggles and suffering along the way as well 
yeah, and, and that's with family illnesses and um, so my wife has a long-term chronic illness, which I've which I've blogged about. Um, uh, um, my, my daughter's had a few issues as well. So, um, and I think just generally, yes, and there's been some quite difficult times along the way, times which I didn't really recognise either. So I think this yeah. is the key. I, I was a superb, I think I've said it, Sometimes before I, I I could have won an Oscar for sometimes yeah. the way that I could put a mask on, um, but eventually that as, as I said that came too much in that in really the end of sixteen it was quite obvious actually that that was just not yeah. going to sustain itself, um, um, and and that's I said, that's where I really then kind of discovered CFT and um, kind of then started off on that intense investigation into things like um, compassion yeah yeah so you're the founder of the 365 days of compassion hashtag um which is wonderful what prompted you to start the hashtag and how do you feel about the response you've had from it and also how has it been helpful in your own life so the hashtag is is a really interesting thing um but at its heart it's a very simple thing um and and it has no there's no kind of ambitions around it or anything like that it was a the inspiration for it came from um uh dr mary welford um, well, she's wonderful isn't she is, yeah she is and and the way that it got into it was that um during something i, I started to write about depression and what i was experiencing and partly starting to write about what I was experiencing in therapy with the compassion piece. And um, which was a complete contrast, I should say, by the way, because when I first went to therapy, I wasn't even talking about it. I didn't want to talk about the word depression because I felt mm. a lot of, um, I felt a very lot of conflicting um, things about it. Mm. And um, so I started very slowly with a blog. There was no intention originally to go public with that. And then with some little nudges from, from Nikki, who was a therapist I was working with, it kind of went public. And and um, one thing I'd started to do at that point was to use social media, particularly Twitter, which I hadn't really used at the time, to kind of reach out to other people around mental health. Yeah. And Twitter is an awful place. Most A lot of Twitter is awful because of the way people use it. However, there are some really nice communities and things on there that you can kind of connect with. And... Um, I'd connect with a few people via Nikki, so James Kirby um, and Jim Lucas, who's a therapist based out in Birmingham in the UK. And Jim was doing a podcast at the time and he had Mary on. And one thing that she talked about on that podcast was about the inner voice and how you can just, it's not so much about changing the words when you're in critical, mm. it's that tone. Yeah. And I thought, this is brilliant. This is, this, it clicked at the time. And so I connected with Mary and then Mary in December of um, uh, 17 came up with this idea where she was going to post each day in December as an advent. Um, we called it the advent of compassion. And, and during December, she asked a few people to join in, etc. And I thought, this is brilliant. This is a really nice idea. Mm. So, so in, a, in, a, in a moment of, I don't know, um, caffeinated excitement, I decided <laughs> that we would, that, that perhaps it would be nice to do this um, every day for a year. Mm. And so that's where the hashtag came on, 365 Days of Compassion. And so the idea was that, that 
anybody can do it and that we would post each day and um, i don't know it could be a quote it could be a, a, a blog it could be an article whatever as long as it got something compassion themed and it was helpful it, yeah. it was going to be helpful to somebody and being a bit of an organization geek as i admit to being i kind of then tried to think no what how would we, how could that work and one thing that was also happening was that a lot of people do put some nice tweets out so some like um dennis for example um will put a quote out and i i wanted to be able to capture those um across different parts of platforms so facebook as well as twitter and instagram and so i, I decided that i set myself a little daily challenge i'd also create these daily images yeah. with the quotes on and again just thinking oh, i'll just do this and it'll be a, maybe for a few I, I had no intention of how long it was going to last for to be honest and and then also create a weekly magazine that supported it because sometimes stuff people don't pick up daily. And also I thought it was nice to have something that was collected in. So we started that in January 2018. Um, and I thought probably a few people might be interested. And <laughs> I also kind of thought that to be honest, there was no ambition about it. So if one per if it helped one person to find yeah. something, that was that was the overall aim of it. So we started and I don't really do any promotion of it or anything like that, but what, what, what I hadn't anticipated and became very clear by the end of that year was that it fostered two things, which, which are very similar. One was it connected a lot of people. So, you know, I retweet something that I don't know that Mary had done or something and, you know, James Kirby would pick it up or something like that. It, it started to connect various things. And, and but secondly, that then started to foster this little bit of a community around it, which was yeah. totally unexpected. And that community is a group of different people and people come in and out of it. And there's no, there's no rules to it. There's no thing. It's just happened. And that was never, that was just unexpected. And that was, that was yeah. fantastic. I also really thought I'd probably do it for a year. <laughs> um, <laughs> still going. And now it's, and it's everybody it's around going. the world. <laughs> It's still going, and it's three. So it's three and a half years now. Um, although I have my own little rules around it, it's like I always do a book quote on a Monday, and a Sunday is a podcast, and Friday is one of my random music shares. It, it hasn't really got rules about it like that. It's just yeah. you know people share, it and people come in and people come out of it. And but the thing that I've loved about it, you asked me what it meant to me. That is the big thing. It means a connection. Yeah. It probably is a hashtag actually. You and I connected, and I've seen you know so many different little connections and people have met up and said oh actually you know we met through the hashtag and it's about this and um, you know i think uh, ross mcintosh was on yeah. with stan um the other, a few weeks back and they kind of connected and that that was like wow those two because yeah. two people i really love their podcast and what they do and they connect through the hashtag so yeah it is no it's it's quite a it's just a really lovely thing actually Oh. Um, well, you and I ended up having coffee and cake in a bookshop because well, of the hashtag. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Didn't we? <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. That's what, so that's what it means to me. It means the connection. Yeah. Um, and um, it was really nice when we reached a thousand days, which was um, um, not that long back. Um, yeah. I'd asked people to do what it kind of meant, and there was some lovely, and that's the thing that came across. That was the big theme. Yeah. And that that just totally is unexpected. And one day it will will cease, but at the moment it just carries yeah. on. And 
Um, if I don't feel like posting something one day, I don't, I haven't done it. You know, just there are times when things haven't been great and I just thought, okay, I won't post for a few days. But that's the nice thing about it. Yeah. Um, and I think so, you've got yeah. a whole community of people around the world that are tagging into the hashtag as well. So there's lots of information being spread, isn't there? Um, there is, and that's, that, that's the key thing, actually. The other thing, actually, I think that on a day-to-day basis, it keeps these things in your floor. And yeah. It just keeps it as part of your daily life. Yeah, yeah. I think there'd be lots of people. I mean, I, I've met lots of people through the hashtag myself. I think there'd be lots of people that would speak to that sense of connection that has come from that, which has been really quite beautiful. And especially... Mm. At the moment, whilst the world is the way it is and we can't connect in the ways yes. that we might normally. Um, yeah. So that's fantastic. So thank you from me and I'm sure many, many people for actually going ahead and, and doing that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So you navigate life as a student amongst your everyday life. And I'm wondering, because, you know, you're, you're, you're a mature age, and you have family. Um, so I'm wondering what's been the best piece of advice that you've received in regards to navigating being a student? And what are the things that you've been learning during your studies that you've found most helpful? Because I'm sure there'll be other people who are embarking on a career in the helping professions who are still students that will be listening. So I'm wondering what sort of stuff have you kind of learned or been given advice about that have been really helpful for you mm. so i think from an advice i'm going to roll it up into um a few things one is and i think this is so important to, to both the caring profession but actually to, to us just generally in life actually is that be curious mm. so so i think in a lot of life we get particularly if you get older and you get into work and so on you can stop being curious about the world. And I think there's this childlike curiosity um, that is, you know, that could be wonderful when you see it happen. Yeah. But I think just being curious, so so there isn't this, you know, I don't think there's any barrier to learning. I, I won't lie, and, and I know you, you you may have experienced this when you were studying as well as a mature student. It can be challenging as a mature student to walk into a lecture hall um, full of, young people who are actually the same age as my children right yep. so you know, and, th- and there were probably times that I'm, i am like the dad of, of the group right you know um, but um most of the time actually they've always made me feel kind of okay with that actually and i think some of that is more in your head actually that you feel because at that point you are part of, you've got the identity of a student yeah um, you do occasionally again i i have been mistaken for a lecturer once which was quite funny but <laughs> That's future um, self. That's future <laughs> self, yes. Yeah. Um, but I do like that that whole thing about being curious about the world. And I, mm. you know, we've just we just had somebody at the university who's 81. She just graduated at 81. And I think that's wonderful, right? To be studying and continuing to be curious about yeah. the world. The piece yeah, that I also when I was um doing my studying, I think I was in my undergrad, and there was a couple. He was late 70s and she was mid 70s. He was doing a postgraduate degree and she was doing her undergraduate. She'd never been to university. It was fantastic. That's, that's exactly like this lady. She ate one. She's done six years to, to get, she's doing it part time. And, and then she, there was an interview with the other day where she said she's thinking about an end postgrad. And that's just, just 
Fantastic. So, so that be curious is definitely one, yeah. of, and that's something I carry forward. I think also more critical thinking, because again, I think in this world that we live in, where everything is reduced almost to sound bites, I think that, and I don't mean critical as in always taking the, um, you know, that kind of negative critical, but actually taking the positive critical view of yeah. things, and it, it, it's really made me question some of the things. You know, there are some some long-standing psychological theories and stuff like that, which actually, on that, you know, if you look at them, they're up there for challenging. Mm. Um, and that's that's really helped, I think, me in terms of things like where we are in the world with coronavirus, because, again, there's so much misinformation out there. And I think yeah. just taking the time to look at where you're getting the information from, the sources you're getting it from, is, a, is, really, is really key. Um, and I think that translates perhaps to the, you know, to the therapy world as well in terms of where things are because sometimes you read things and it's obvious that someone's trying to sell something <laughs> and, yeah. and, and that's very difficult. I think the, the thing in terms of that I've really loved about my studies and what it's given me insight into is, first of all, I didn't, although I knew psychology covered lots of different areas, it's covered more than I thought it was going to. And so environmental psychology i hadn't really got that much of an awareness of um so that's been good neuroscience has been a complete revelation to me i thought my biopsych modules were going to be the hardest they've been the most enjoyable yeah um and i've really enjoyed that kind of scientific approach to learning about the the way that the nervous system works etc the thing that i've really taken from it is that science that can sit behind some of the things that you hear and you know, there's some some elements of that within some of the compassion world, and you're hearing about how people are doing heart rate variability measurements and what's that actually means. So learning that has been the yeah. real real thing for me. You can see so the excitement I, when you talk about it because you know you and oh, I yeah. are meeting on Zoom, obviously you being in the UK and me being in Australia, um, and the excitement of this all this new information. I get to be curious. Oh, it's like oh, that yeah. beginner's mind all over again. I actually think the other thing is with it. It is um, allowing you to be an authentic geek. <laughs> because when you're younger, particularly, you don't want to be the person that really likes the stats module. And I am that person. Yeah, um, good for you. You know, but, so I think I think that that's the other thing. It's authenticity, isn't it? And I think that's one of the key things in your studies. You have to be authentic. There's no point writing an essay that says, "Oh, this is great and stuff." You've got to be able to be authentic about it. And I think. Yeah. Um, that curiosity, that critical piece, it supports that. Yeah. So when you think when we think about in terms of sort of self-care, mm. what are your favorite ways of nurturing yourself or looking after yourself? Because it's it's a lot doing uni, it's a lot managing a family. It's what are the things you find most helpful mm. or your favorite ways? Um, there's, a, there's a couple of them that I'll, I'll expand upon i think one thing that studying does which again is probably true in a lot of professional lives as well is that you are assessed and that can be difficult yeah um, especially if you do have perfectionist tendencies and uh, a tendency to be a little bit self-critical as well so actually yeah. just recognizing that and recognizing that actually when you get feedback from the tutors it it's supportive in the main they're trying to help you develop and um, also, as an undergraduate, you know, you're not going to know the answers. So, so academic writing is very hard, let's face it. It's a difficult one to get into. I think sometimes it's deliberately obtuse as well. But you have to <laughs> learn your you have to learn your way through that. And um, I think 
taking your time with doing that and accepting when you do put your assessment in. And I always feel relief when I've submitted it. And then, you know, like you normally have like, you know, three weeks perhaps before you get marks back. The day before, you know, you get your marks back, the stress levels go back up, don't they? Yeah. You start, but just recognising that. Yeah. And accepting that is part of it. I think that's 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 one thing that is really important to me. In terms of nurture as well, um, you know, being out in the garden is one thing. We've got quite a small garden here, but um, we, we moved here a few years ago and we've done quite a lot on the borders this year, really taken off with the plants. And that's just a joy to see. Yeah. We've got we've got some veg going on at the minute as well, just some beans and tomatoes, but it's just a simple joy because they've gone from nice. seedling. You know, so we've got um, loads of tomatoes. Actually. <laughs> we went a bit mad with the tomato plants. Um, but that's, I'd love that. The simple, yeah. that to me is the nurture bit. You know, uh, we inherited my late father-in-law, and this is going to sound really daft, but a bird bath. Right? It's a lovely old concrete bird bath. He had it as a as a young man, um, passed away sadly last year, and then we, we, we one of the things we inherited. But it's brought so many birds to the yeah. thing, and I, I love that. So it is that that's the simple things for me that nurture it. So the nature, and um, I do enjoy reading, um, yeah. um, and the gardening, and uh, I won't like coffee as well. Uh, so nature, sort of being out with nature, slowing down, yes. taking that time to focus in on something that you're enjoying. It is, and I think the other thing is, and I know you could do it as a formal practice, but I actually think what happens eventually is you actually start it just happens and you you, you walk in along and you just take a minute to look at the trees because that's yeah. you it's become part of you so you yeah. don't have to think oh hold on a minute i need to just stop and and also it's that you don't need to get the phone out at that point and go oh well, look at that i'll take a picture of the, of yeah. the tree it's just enjoying it for that moment yeah. that, that's what that's what nurtures me it really does yeah i think that's a really good point because i think sometimes we have to start with the formal deliberate practice. I'm we going do. to go for a walk yeah. and I'm going to be very mindful and I'm going to take a moment to notice the colours and this and that. Mm. And then the more you practice that, it does just become part of who you are, doesn't it? And you become more mindful, you know, a lot of the time. Now, certainly not all of the time. I mean, that would just be, <laughs> you know, we'd be just like enlightened beings, wouldn't we? Um but I think it certainly becomes easier then to catch yourself as well when you're being quite mindless. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. focus back in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things at uni is I I don't particularly like lots of, um, I don't particularly like to be in lots of, amongst lots of big groups and stuff like that. So Freshers Week is always quite, you know, intense. Yeah. But there's a lovely part of the university, which is quite a, not many people know about it. It's on top of the, um, there's a little centre that's just outside, um, kind of a religious centre, if you like, just outside the main part of the campus. But it's got a rooftop garden that then looks out across the sports area, but then across to the park that's near the university. Oh, so wow. when you get when you get onto that, it's got a little bench and you can just sit there. And because it's elevated, you're basically at the same height as the trees. And because not many people know about it, not many people go there, um, uh, it's just a lovely place. And that's my little hideaway in the university, just going to have 10 minutes there. And it's nothing formal. You're not sat there, you know, yeah. going through a, a meditation. It's just you're sat there and it just it just grounds you. It really does. Yeah. I think it's that slowing down, isn't it? Mm. When we can slow mm. down, we connect to ourselves more easily. Yes. And yeah. to whatever's around us as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that sounds beautiful. We need to be a bit shh. Don't let anybody listen to the podcast that goes to Dublin <laughs> University. The place will be flooded with people. <laughs> Your little secret spot. <laughs> so in terms of your career in psychology, which may well be in the research area, what are you looking forward to the most? And what, if anything, are you concerned about? I'll do the concerns first. Two, two concerns with that. One one's a jokey concert. I actually really there's not many areas of psychology I don't like. <laughs> so, I, so so there are sometimes I get oh I'll do that oh that's really interesting do that and do that. Um, I'd almost want to do it all, <laughs> which I know there's not time for. So I, I know I need to, to. So one concern is not getting distracted because I do have a bit of a butterfly mind as well sometimes. Mm. Um, so what what might you do that to take care of yourself in that then that would be helpful. Uh, because what I've done, uh, so I, sorry, good question. I, I, one thing I do do is make notes for myself because I will read something and think, oh, that's really interesting. I'd love to do that. Yeah. And then I, I kind of have gone back to what are the things I'm really interested in, what are my core values, if you like, from within yeah. psychology. And that's where the nature of it. So although I might see some of the neuroscience and think, oh, that's really, really exciting. We, we do, we, it's going to take a long time if you wanted to go off to do that. And it's also, the kind of facilities that will be required to support that. So you can get interested in that, but it might not be something that you could go and do. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. But also actually, what's the bits that are really mean something to me? I think that's the other bit, the meaning. Yeah. So so one concern I have about sometimes when I see academic research, you think that's a really interesting study. So what? What does it mean? So you've, you've investigated, I don't know what it was, you know, something. And it's like, okay, but what does that mean to me? What would that mean to somebody in the, in the street? Yeah. What does it mean to everyday life? Yeah. So one concern I have is that research, I think, should always have meaning and should have something that would help to make the world in whatever way, whether yeah. it's an individual or a societal level, something better, some improvement, yeah. which is why I'm very interested I say, in the psychology around environmental behaviours, etc. Um, I am also very aware that as you get through academia, it becomes very stressful. It can become very stressful. A lot of people talk about, you know, I'm nowhere near a PhD, but PhD seems to often be talked about in very stressful ways. Mm. Um, and and so I always have to fear that something like that could re-trigger certain past behaviours or not past yeah. behaviours, but, you know, um, emotional states. But I think the fact that I'm aware of that is... Yeah partly mitigation towards that anyway. Yeah, and looking at ways of, no matter what you're embarking on, is how you take care of yourself. If I can just for yeah. a minute kind of go back, you're saying about that, you, you want to do all the things, you know, yes. it's like, oh, that's interesting, like that. And, and I get that because I, I have moments where I want to do all the things too. And I think whether it's in academia, whether it's in clinical practice, there is so much available to us and we can't do everything. And I, and I really liked what you were saying. Again, it comes back to that slowing down, connecting with yourself. What are my values? What feels meaningful mm. to me in moving forward, making these choices? Mm. Um, I think there's a bit of a theme there, isn't there? Like slow down, connect to self, tune in, listen to your wisdom um, so that you can yeah. make choices and pick the things that are going to feel meaningful for you because Otherwise, we can get overwhelmed. There's so much what you could be doing. Yeah, I think so. And I think the other thing with that is, is that when it does get stressful and stuff, because it has got that resonance with you, that can help sustain you through the yeah. more difficult times as well. Whereas I think if you're doing something, because, oh, I think I've got an interest in that, and then it gets really tough, it's like, oh. I mean, you know, I, I, 
I, I've seen that in myself with certain modules because there are some things in psychology I might not be quite as interested in. Yeah. Those assignments, if they get a bit tough, you kind of like, oh, this is a bit more of a slog. Whereas yeah. ones where you're interested, it's just it, it, even reading through, you know, doing a literature review is not a slog, it's enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's the, I think you're right. Those themes, they're important and they actually sustain you as well. Yeah. So, what would be one piece of advice? that you would share with the listeners around sort of well-being, how, how to take care of yourself under these kind of stresses, whether it's studying or generally I, I, being I, a human being. I'm laughing because my imposter is now questioning what I'm about to say. Um, so just welcome um, the imposter in. So, hello, indeed. take a seat. <laughs> indeed. I, I think I've, I, I'm going to go back to something that I said earlier. It is the... To be curious. I think one of the things I learned from CFT, from compassion based therapy, well, I learned quite a lot actually. But one of the <laughs> things I learned in that is that it reopened curiosity because I think, yeah. and the reason compassion is important there is that sometimes you can be curious about things that might be uncomfortable as well, or it might put you in stress, you know. And so that piece, the compassion piece, can then be the piece that sustains you through that or supports you through that. Yeah. Um, and I just think in this day we've lost, we're inundated with so much information, etc. We've just lost that ability to always be curious. You know, to look up at the night sky and think, wow, just think about what that actually you're looking at. Yeah, that's lovely. So a question that I'm asking everyone, or a version of this question, if you could meet your 80-year-old self, what do you think your future self would say to you? Yes, my future self. Um, I think they would say, "Keep learning." Yeah, and I don't mean I don't mean necessarily formally, but just yeah. keep that exploring. And um, I think they'd probably say, "Actually, you're doing okay." Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the key thing as well. You're doing okay. I, I think we we could be too a little bit judgmental about where we are, how we're doing. And I think our, our later self usually says, you know, actually, you're doing okay. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, yeah. I think you absolutely are doing okay. Thank you. <laughs> I think you, um, you know, aside from anything else you're doing, I think you have brought something really meaningful and valuable and beautiful into the world with the 365 days of compassion hashtag thank um, you it's absolutely superb thank you very much yeah. so finally if people want to find out more about you get in touch um where can they find you and engage with the things you've done because i know you've got some videos and things that you've done around compassion focused therapy and how they could get involved with the hashtag? So the hashtag is very easy to get involved with and people can get involved in however they want to with that in certain respects. In terms of, so it's on most of the platforms in terms of Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. They all do slightly different things. You'll see some content on some, um, but they're all under the, the hashtag. So if you just search for the hashtag, you'll find the accounts. And um, again, stuff like on Twitter, people can either just follow it or if they want to tweet with the um, hashtag, then they'll get retweets on that. Um, in terms of, and I'm, I'm on Twitter as well, I think if you can pop 
the I'll send you the details to pop into the yeah I'll pop them in the show the notes. Show notes. Um, yes, we did the stuff on YouTube as well. I did the stuff on YouTube. So again, that's just under the hashtag name. There's a channel there. Um, and yes, it was, I felt that although I'd done some blogs which are on WordPress as well, so people search on WordPress, they'll they'll find the blogs under the hashtag. They will find it under the hashtag and also my own, which was in the original blog that I did, which was called Breathe Underwater, which is about kind of that time when I was very struggling with the depression and then going through the compassion piece as well. Yeah. But to the blog, which I don't write as much now because I think it served a purpose at the time, but then became, didn't want to become pressurised to write. That tells part of the story. And then the YouTube videos that I did, I just wanted to try and get across different aspects of what compassion-focused therapy was about and how it helps me um, in a in a hopefully accessible way. So, yeah, that's under the hashtag as well. So there's plenty of ways to be able to, to either connect with me or to, um, if they'd like to get involved with the hashtag, brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, one Rather of the things well. I love as you're talking, it, it's like you have this way of wanting to do things but not put pressure on yourself with them not put expectations on what they should be have them being meaningful at the time for what you want to do and then if they if you let them go you let them go and if you continue them you continue them but I think that's really an important piece when we think about our own well-being is the sort of pressure and expectations and what's the motivation for certain decision making and it sounds like you go really gently with yourself on that stuff and that's lovely it does and the blog's a key example of that so the blog started off very slowly and then it became almost at times like oh I've got to publish something this week and the moment I realised that was the moment I kind of thought actually this isn't right so I just paused it and if I occasionally write a blog post I occasionally write a blog post and I think the moment it becomes feels like it's work is the moment it's lost what it was about yeah fantastic well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you it's lovely to see you over zoom in the uk and hopefully before too long the world will open up a bit more and i'll see you on english soil that will be lovely that will be lovely thank you so much for this opportunity absolute pleasure you take care chris thank you thanks very much holly take care Bye. bye thank you for sharing this time with me today I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself and may you go well and go gently. Bye.